We're continuing this morning in a sermon series celebrating the Incarnation. Why the Incarnation? Looking at those passages that may not always be traditional Advent passages, but they speak to why did Jesus come on that first Christmas morning? Why did he uh, attend to us? Why was he made manifest to us? Why was he sent? Last time together we looked at Mark chapter 10. I came not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The heart and the soul and the, and the great purpose of, of the incarnation of Christmas is the redemption of humanity. But also we looked at John 10 in our first time together and said, here's another reason why I came. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He not only comes to do a justifying work, but a, a sanctifying work. When I was in seminary, oh, there were so many papers we had to write for seminary. I can't count them. I, I remember one of them. Out of all those papers, the one that stands out uh, the most in my mind was just simply answer this question. What is the relationship between the incarnation and the atonement? What is the relationship between Christ becoming in flesh that Christmas morning and the atoning work of God? And there was so much to look at, right, as we've just said. Well, he came that he might live a perfect life, give that life for us, be our ransom, be our redemption, certainly. But at the end of that paper, seeing those great scriptures, like in Hebrews to say, he passed through the heavens. And the reason he passed through the heavens partly was so that we might have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. That we have a God unlike any other God ever, ever thought of or imagined in all of history. We have a God who empathizes with us, sympathizes with us, and knows our condition and our struggle. One famed pastor wrote this, from day one, God the Father determined not to shelter his son from the rude, crude realities of life on planet Earth. Jesus understands. He's been there. 1,500 years ago or more, St. Augustine said these words, our Lord came down from life to suffer death. Yes, to be our atoning sacrifice, yes, but the bread came down to hunger. The way came down on the way to weariness. The fount came down to thirst. He knows our lives. He knows our hurts. And we heard it in, in Renee's talk of the shepherds. We're going to hear it and go tell it in, on the mountain in that final verse. This reminder that we're getting, not just from Hebrews, but from Luke's passage and really all the Advent passages. Charles Wesley said it right, yes, Jesus Christ, when he came, yes, he was born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, but he says before that, mild he lay his glory by. We've talked about the purpose of the incarnation, the power of the incarnation this morning. I just want us to glory in the person of the incarnation, the one who came for us, who humbled himself, humbled and born in a manger. And you see that throughout the Christmas story. You can go back to Luke 3 or Matthew, just even in, 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 in humbling himself to be a part of the, the family, the lineage of which he's a part. All of us have that. Some of y'all were even telling me this morning about family get-togethers you're having. 
And let's admit it, there's at least one person in our family that you kind of, every time you get together, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? And if you're not thinking it, just, you know, the reminder, that means it's you. If you don't have that person, <laughs> you're it. But, but you read these stories and the genealogies of, of Luke 3 and Matthew 1, and you're like, there's no way. You had time to clean this up. This is the Messiah's line? Murderers, adulterers, people who make their children walk through fire, prostitute, all these things. Jesus comes from this line. And really, when you get to the end of the line, you count all those, those families just before the birth of Christ, I dare you to tell me anything about them. Can you? It's a line of people who are either in crazy sin at different points in their life, or they're a bunch of nobodies. And this is the people through whom the Savior of the world would come. It's a beautiful picture of humility. And then when you get to where he's born, whether it's Bethlehem or where he's raised in Nazareth, you see a deep humility in, in Jesus here, his hometown, verse chapter 2, verse 4, where we are this morning. I, I've, I've told you this before. Um, in, in, if you've been a part of my pastor's Bible study, and several of you, I've told this individually, but my great-grandmother in Pennsylvania loved pro wrestling. You don't want to argue with my great-grannies, what we call her. You don't want to argue with her about if it's real or not, because it was. And I grew up by her side watching old-school wrestling, and there were times when the bad guys would cheat, and she would go into some ecstatic, religious, charismatic experience I thought she was speaking in strange tongues. I found out later she didn't want me, to hear, want me to hear her curse, so she spoke her Pennsylvania Dutch. The bad guy would cheat, not hear, donkey shank the crane. I mean, she would just let him have it. But I remember even as a kid just being enamored that here's this guy, superstar Billy Graham from either like Hollywood, California, or this guy from New York City. But I used to, even as a kid, laugh when they'd have somebody just crazy, some weird guy come out and he was from parts unknown. You didn't know where he came. He was just, this guy was so monstrous and crazy. We're, we don't even know where he is from. Bethlehem. Yeah, you're not the least among the houses, the prophecy would say. Uh, you and I know that that's not true, really, about uh, Bethlehem. They're small and it's insignificant, still is to this day. Um, not, not Jerusalem, the holy city, not Caesarea, where it's arts and culture, and that's where the Romans stay. No, this place, because scripture has said it will be here. And then Nazareth, when they, were, when they were listing like the top 40 cities, historians in that region in Galilee, Nazareth doesn't even make the list. The humility of God to enter our world as he does. And then just the economics of the thing. If you go later in our passage to verse 24, and Mary and Joseph later are coming uh, to dedicate Christ, and they go to make their sacrifices there in the temple area, and we see that the sacrifices are just a couple of birds. 
Now, wait a minute, there, there, there are other things they could have done and gifted at that point. And these are people who have said yes to God and risked for God. Of course, they're going to bring their very best to God. They're giving all, they're risking all. It means they don't have anything. These are two rural teenage kids, at least she is, and uh, they don't have anything. Psalm 50 reminds us that our Father owns cattle on a thousand hills. But the man who would stand in to be stepfather to Jesus can only muster a couple of coins to get a couple of birds for sacrifice. Jesus comes into this world with very little. You watch his public ministry. And he has very little. And when he dies, they take the one possession really that he has from him and he leaves this world with nothing. The humility of Christ put on display at his birth, his life, and his death. But then going to our passage again, verse 7. Just this outward humility of where he's born and where he's placed I've joked with you before, I, my dad's from Pennsylvania, and so I, I was a Mississippi State fan living in between Penn State and Pittsburgh who were at the height of their powers in the 70s, right? My dad double-dated with D.D. D. Lewis, so I was a Cowboys fan in the middle of the Eagles and the Steelers, out of place for sure. And you look at this, you want to talk about not just out of place, but the humility of Christ. We just, we don't take into account, think of this scene in Luke. We see it in its glory 2,000 years later. But use your imagination and your senses. It wasn't a silent night if there's a manger. There's animals all night long, keeping them up. Can you, can you hear it? Can you smell it? This is the king of glory. And he's placed in a manger that would make him immediately and ritually unclean. That's our Savior. The humble one of God, born in a manger. And then as, 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 as Renee would say, the first witnesses who get to come, this relational humility of who, who God associates with at Christ's birth, you drop down to verse 8, and it's the shepherds. It's not a glorified uh, 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 vocation that we remember from Psalm 23 or we remember from the Gospel of John. But this, this was a dirty occupation, an occupation so unclean that they couldn't go inside the men's court to worship. They're the dregs, the outcasts, dirty, ordinary dudes is what I heard earlier this morning. They're on the outs, and yet they get to witness the birth. I tell this story a lot. It's a book written by Dan Taylor. He, it's called Letters to My Children. He'd written one of his letters to his son, Matthew, but he was talking to him about a time in sixth grade. And in, in every physical education class in the world, I think it's required to take uh, square dancing at some point. Some of us love that. Some of us are not made for dancing. Six, four, uncoordinated. It's not my world. 
And I feel his pain, not wanting to do it, but also the pain of they, they started with the boys, and that was kind of the, the pattern. Boys will just tell you who goes first, and you have to pick a girl. The, imagine the horror of that, waiting to get picks, you know? Who, and is it going to be somebody I don't like, or am I going to be last? Just every time, this little picking and choosing and just people kind of feeling uneasy or sadly just worried, sad, especially a girl in his class in sixth grade named Mary. Because of polio, one arm was kind of shriveled up or drawn up. She also had a, a really bad leg and just was a, a, a very noticeable limp. And uh, the day, just a little bit before class was to begin that day, one of his teachers came up and said, hey, uh, when you get the opportunity and it's your turn to pick, I want you to choose, I want you to choose Mary. I'm going to read to you what he, what he said about that experience. He said, it was an idea so inconceivable that I could barely hold it in my head as a sixth grader. You mean pick someone other than the best, the most popular, when my turn comes? And then Mrs. Owen did a rotten thing. She told me that it would be the Christian thing to do. And I knew I was immediately doomed. I was doomed because she was right. Maybe I would be near the last to pick, so it wouldn't cost me anything. But then I was asked to pick first. He goes on to say that some girls were looking at him, some smiling in anticipation, but not Mary. Her head was down looking at her desk. Read, I want to read this last paragraph. He said, I chose Mary. Never had reluctant virtue ever been so rewarded. I still see her face undimmed in my memory, reddened with pleasure and surprise and an embarrassment all at the same time. It was the most genuine look of delight and even pride that I had ever seen. And I had to look away because I knew I didn't deserve it. Mary came and took my arm as we had been instructed. And she walked beside me, bad leg and all, just like a princess. These shepherds are visited. God sends angels to them. He chooses them. Those on the outs. Jesus relates with those on the outs throughout all his public ministry. When you and I have blown it, when you and I feel not worthy, when you and I are on the outs, it's just like God to come to us, even at his birth, this glorious moment in human history where God himself has left heaven for us. And immediately, those who are on the outs are drawn in. If we had time, we'd talk about the the, the wise men, it's the same thing as well in Matthew's story. These who are, who are star watchers, probably pagan, on the outside, and yet they're reading the stars, and they come to Christ, and they get to be a part of the, of, of the, of the Christian story. Even in the sense Jesus immediately, who is the king of all kings, the very king of glory, after he's born, you know the story later, he's a refugee. This one who's over all things and who is king becomes a political refugee. But for our, for, our, for our sermon this morning, just Luke 2, verse 11, this last reminder that he was born. 
we will never fully get our heads around it. I want to borrow from John's gospel and hear what Jesus said about the glory that he had before with his father. Hear these words from John's gospel. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, meaning his cross. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, before the world was. That was lost. Fully God? Yes. Yes, fully God, full relationship with God, but the glory of heaven, the glory of that kind of life was lost in an instant the minute he entered into our humanity and humbled himself for us. No wonder Paul calls the church that kind of life. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The king of kings stepped out of heaven. And we see this just, of, just oh, he was born. Oh, he was born? As Hebrews said, he passed through the heavens to become our high priest. This is a good word for us today. To celebrate, yes, the, the purpose of the incarnation that we might be saved. To celebrate the power of the incarnation that he can do something in our flesh and in our hearts to sanctify our life. But to see the picture of the person of Christmas morning. The humility of Jesus. We shared at Steve Brown's funeral last week from Isaiah 53. And I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. There was nothing attractive about him, this prophecy in Isaiah 53 about Jesus. There's nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked over and looked down on. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is it was our pains he carried, our disfigurement, all the things wrong with us. It's the glory of our Savior, the person of our Savior, humbling himself to know us, to take on, yes, our sin, but also our stuff. Anybody going through it right now? Maybe with family, with friends, work, betrayal, grief, you name it. And Jesus, with the exception of sin, experienced it. He knows us. He's condescended to, uh, and, and descended to be in the midst of where we are. I told this story about five years ago, uh, but I, but I want to share it one more time because of some things this past weekend. But there was a student in the youth group of our last church. I'll use his name today as Daniel. But when Daniel first visited our Wednesday afternoon program, kids could walk from the middle school to our church. We had a couple hours of recreation before the evening meal and then youth Bible study. Uh, when he first started coming, I took notice of him because he wouldn't be a part of the group. Daniel would sit very far away. I didn't know who he was connected with. Not only would he sit away from students, he wouldn't really talk with anybody, engage with anybody. He always wore headphones, but you could hear the heavy metal music coming out of those headphones. Our youth pastors, 
uh, the two pastors, youth pastor worked with him, tried to engage him, and eventually, and, and slowly he engaged a little bit, uh, but it was a long season of trying to encourage him and reach him. There was a girl in our community um, who was suffering abuse. Uh, I can't get into all of that. Uh, at some point, she'd be tied up for the whole weekend where our parents went out to do certain things. There were other things that occurred. Her parents are both serving jail time for that now. But that girl went to Daniel one day and unloaded her story. And she said to him, what can I do? Where can I go? And Daniel said, I know a place. I know a place that will hear your story. I know a place where they'll, they'll love you. And so he brought her to the Wednesday church. We were able to get social services and the police involved and free that girl because Daniel had received the grace of God, the love of God, the touch of God through the people of God. We come to Advent to celebrate Christ, to lift him up, to, to remember who he is. Yes, king of all kings, but the kind of king who humbles himself, but also to respond. How is it you and I need to respond anew with that kind of humility? I tell Daniel's story because Sarah and I got to have lunch with him uh, yesterday with his wife and with his uh, baby girl. It was a sweet day to reconnect after seven, eight years of not, of not seeing him. But to know his story, and his story's wrapped up in a church's story who said, we're going to love people well. To hear stories yesterday of our, our church supporting and several going uh, to Delta Grace, to hear stories of our five-minute family discipleship group going to the home place, or our students in October going to the home place, to just hear story after story uh, through our, our, our church family of, of how you all are, are reaching out. You'll see on Facebook this week, one of the missionaries we support in, in Azerbaijan, a Muslim-controlled country, a persecuting country, and yet they open their home to 40 people. Uh, for Christmas to have a house church event and to risk because they serve the Christ. How is it at work? How is it in your neighborhood? How is it in your friendships and your family that we can have the reach and the love and the grace of Christ as we see so clearly at his birth that Christ has for us? What's your next step? What's my next step? What's our next step as our church to say, who needs the grace and love of Jesus, for it was surely given to us at Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news again. To see the heart of Jesus, to see his nature, and to glory in that, to worship him anew for all that he has gifted to us in his first advent. Lord Jesus, we pray that it, not only that we would worship you for who you are, but would you put that on display in us, a love for others, a reaching for others, a humility of, of not glorifying self, but seeking the blessing of others? We pray that. Continue to work in and through us as a church, in and through us as your followers. In Christ's name, your name, we pray. Amen.